Hello from my home to yours. Welcome to EMS at Sea Level. This month, we're looking at the What's the Scoop specials for the 2023 trends. First in this series is Carl Hung of the Season Group. Carl, thanks for joining me. Always a pleasure to chat. Um, I read your predictions for next year, and they didn't fill me with joy, I have to say. Give me a quick overview of what you're seeing. And, you know, you started with the... Um, with the supply chain issues. And we've talked a lot about supply, but you know we have to talk about demand as well. So let's start with supply and um, and see where that takes us. Yeah, apologize for the uh, the negativity. I guess I guess I wrote that when it was a really bad week, uh, but um, certainly, unfortunately, things haven't changed uh, much uh, in the sense, although the stock market has gone up, which is good. I think the midterm elections are over in the US as well too. And it, it wasn't the red wave that people predicted. So, Maybe that's a good thing. I haven't analyzed that fully yet, but overall wise, I think from a supply standpoint, right? Um, it, we were all hoping for a uh, easing of the supply chain, um, mm. whereby all those hard to get components would finally be easing up and et cetera. Uh, and we do see some of that. Uh, we do see a lot of brands uh, easing up, uh, but the key ones, TIs, Intels, those are still quite uh, long lead times, mm. 82 weeks and above. Uh, all the other brands we're seeing, oh, they're 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 easing up a bit. Uh, you can get some allocation; it's there, um, but a lot of it's driven because of the fact that uh, there's a massive drop in demand from the the larger tier OEMs. So mm. now they're sp- sprinkling it down to the the high mix, low volume, or smaller uh, manufacturers now. So there is that easing up. But I think one of the things I mentioned in, in the um, in the article as well too, the piece is that um, there is the new law that came into place October 6th, uh, the embargo mm. on military equipment uh, and uh, military uh, grade uh, chipsets and equipment yeah. to supply, right? And we, we, we are going to see a lot of um, fallout from that, uh, from that legislation itself, uh, whereby right now, after October 6th, immediately what happened was all the semiconductor guys, whether it's ASML or LAMS Research, immediately stopped sending people to China immediately stops servicing all the equipment, uh, whether it is high tech or low tech, right? The claim is that, well, the, the law is quite ambiguous. That uh, doesn't really classify what is high tech or low tech. And mm-hmm. so they stopped all of that. Uh, and there was there is a stop in production where, again, that's gonna uh, that's affect gonna the, supply the supply chain yeah. down the line. Uh, and I think now they're starting to work through the definition of what high tech, low tech is. So you'll see that uh, guys like NVIDIA, uh, they just launched a new chip, uh, the A800 for the artificial intelligence uh, graphics chip, where uh, that is meant to uh, be an alternative to the A100 uh, for the AI chip. And it, that, that satisfied the embargo uh, that the US government laid. So now, now we're seeing people working through those, um, those uh, that, that embargo definitions. Um, yeah. And from that standpoint, um, it's a good thing. Uh, the early predictions was that, well, if you ban the high-tech chipsets, uh, what's going to happen is the Chinese um, semiconductor guys, they'll flood the market with the low-tech chipsets. So in that yeah. sense, oh, it's good. And that pricing will finally drop down. Uh, but I don't see that happening yet. I think right now um, the supply of the components are quite limited because it's not to everyone's – It's it's to everyone's benefit, or all the uh, semiconductor guys' benefit, to keep it can control it. Yeah. Because I think yeah. they they're they're trying to gauge what's happening to the demand too. It's too yeah. 
uh, risky for them to really invest in the uh, supply of components right now. So yeah, um, yeah. I think that capacity, that de demand and supply, and capacity issue is really complicated at the moment. And you know, it was complicated. It's got even more complicated as we've um, as we've gone through this year, and we've 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 seen the uh, increased interest rates, the change in the economy. Um, that brings us to the demand side. I've talked to a lot of EMSs that aren't seeing too much softening in demand. Some are in certain sectors. What are you seeing? Yeah, uh, again, I think it's a sector uh, issue. I think if it's anything consumer related, everyone's being more conservative now. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I think because for them, a lot of them are thinking, oh, the supply chain is uh, easing up now. So maybe we don't need to give the 16, 18 months POs that we did in the past. I think a lot of these guys realize, oh, they've doubled order or tripled order sometimes. So they are cutting back the demand on that front. Uh, there is a lot of concern from the uh, that consumer level, whereby you've got the high interest rates uh, and you've got inflation involved as well, too. And then also uh, predictions on salary increases where it's not as high as people thought it would be. Right. Mm -hmm. I think um, in the UK, your hometown, uh, the late, latest inflation numbers are nine to 10 percent. Yeah. Right. No company can ever match that amount. I think the most they're thinking about is three or four percent. So there's a loss in real uh, real income wages of around five or six percent for this year, and yeah. so what do people do when there's also high inflation, right? Um, uh, high interest. Uh, the only thing is sensible is save less or spend less so that they can pay off their mortgages, right? Because yeah. the mortgage is killing them too. Yeah. Uh, mortgage rates have gone through the roof, so I, I don't see much consumer spending uh, next year. I think people, because of real wages decrease and high interest rates, uh, the only thing they can do is not spent. So consumer yeah. levels, it's quite hard, which yeah, would trick it Yeah. And I think there's a second layer in that as in post COVID, people are going back to um, the service sector and the hospitality sector. And some of that money that was spent on product is now being spent on services, which again, hurts demand for, um, for consumer tech. So I think there's a, there, there's an impact on there. You mentioned around the, um, around the uh, defense chips, um, legislation and regulations, the idea that this is pulling apart global supply chains. And we're maybe seeing a bit of a, I don't want to say anti-globalization trend, but we're seeing a change in the way we look at geopolitics and the way that impacts our global supply chain. Um, Apple have committed to investing in manufacturing more of their uh, current technology iPhones in India, for example, and I know it's only a relatively small number, but they suggest it's a growing number. How do you see that? How do you see that change in geopolitics and the and the whole um, regionalization of the supply chain? Yeah, I, I don't see that easing up at all, right? I think uh, one of the things that, uh, two, two big things that highlight what's going on in the world right now is A, uh, the the Russia-Ukraine uh, situation, hmm. where I think um, ev everyone uh, everyone's very surprised with the Russia's uh, situation, yeah. where they thought that Ukraine would be bowled over and they're, they're holding strong. And the, the, the whole world's come together to use embargoes to really uh, weaken the Russian uh, state, which um, is it, very, very effective that they've done. And I think what's happened is that it's highlighted to China, uh, the the challenges uh, that might lay for them if they ever so decide to support Russia or whatnot. 
uh, and it's encouraged even more um, inward uh, lookingness, right? They want to de- develop mm. their inner um, country more uh, yeah. because the results of the October meeting for the uh, the third term for President Xi has resulted in a um, his third term, which is a, a major change in our pol- yeah. policies, and B, uh, no change in the COVID policy, where I think many optimists were hoping that after this third term's announced that they would open up to the world and invite people back in. Uh, mm. But for them to take a stance of zero COVID and no softening too much, uh, that uh, that they're trying to focus more inwards and focus the investments inwards and I- encourage local uh, development, local consumption, local trading. Um, yeah. And I think um, the the most recent German, um, German mission uh, where the chancellor of Germany came over with uh, the other CEOs trying to open up the China market. It's a good first step. Uh, it's a first visit by any uh, foreign uh, government in the last three years. Mm. And I think that needs to happen. And I think uh, to remind China, yeah, there's a lot of good to continue trading with the rest of the world. And to the yeah. rest of the world, there's a lot of good to trading with China as well, too. It, it, yeah. This national uh, idea is definitely not good for technology, not good for the world. Um, for sure. Yeah. And when you look at companies like Apple um, shifting some of their supply chain out out of China and specifically into India, um, do you see that as as an opportunity for a country like India that has never really got going in in the um, in the in the EMS world? I think people are saying that maybe the three largest countries to benefit from people decoupling a little from China are India, Mexico, and Vietnam. Um, how do you see that? Well, certainly, I think Vietnam's benefited the most uh, out of all of this. Uh, I think mm. you see trade surplus between Vietnam and U.S. jumping quite significantly the last two years. Uh, but all with that country as well, too, the major issue is people, right? There's not mm. enough people. Uh, how, how do you replace a population of 1.3 billion people with 70 million people? Yeah. Uh, I think the only, uh, and it's the same thing with us in Mexico as well, too. It's people, uh, the lack of people yeah. as well, too, where I think India is the only one that can pose a real challenge uh, to the China China labor force and the China pricing itself. Uh, but I think a lot of it has to, a lot of the, a lot of what has to happen is the supposed government bureaucracy that is hmm. prevalent in India is solved. But we do see uh, that the government is the federal government is stepping in more and encouraging more investments in, in that sense. And I think that's a good sign for the, the Indian um, nation itself. Yeah. Uh, but I think um, overall wise, as I was explaining to my team uh, today too, it, it's it's no longer just a competition on labor pricing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not whoever has the lowest labor uh, because that's not the major issue anymore. The, the, the major driver is component pricing, material pricing. Yeah. Uh, and uh, whoever can find the best material pricing usually wins and a lot of the materials still being generated out in China. Yeah. Right? So unless that supply chain shifts, uh, it won't um, matter much. And the reason why supply chains are really hard to shift away from China well, as well too, it's the fact that China has invested so much in automation. Yeah. Where I compare automation projects between Mexico and China. In China, for example, I've got an automation program for our SMT lines. It's around $150,000 US. Same program in Mexico, it's $450,000 US. Yeah. Right. So three times the price. My, my ROI is 
a year in China, but it's four years in uh, in Mexico. Yeah, in so, Mexico. yeah. So that that type of uh, investment uh, is what's really driving China's competitive advantage. Uh, yeah. And I, I think, um, yeah, as long as China's got that lead in the automation pricing, uh, they'll still be a dominant force in manufacturing for years to come. Yeah. And when you look to 2023, do you think talent is going to remain a big issue? You know, we've talked about component shortages, but talent shortages are just becoming a huge issue in every single industry, but no industry more than manufacturing. Yeah, I think, uh, well, certainly we've been in the manufacturing industries for a very long time. We we don't really know who wants to stay in the manufacturing industry. Uh, There's got to be something wrong with us, I think. Uh, But uh, what we're seeing is the new generation of people, right? Uh, a lot of the new generations don't want to head into manufacturing as by default. Uh, ask my son this question, and he wants to be a YouTuber or an influencer. Uh, and that that seems to be the trend even in China too, right? Yeah. A lot of the young generation, it's about a, uh, what's the term called? It is a, not a co-sharing or co-working, but it's a gig economy, right? In China, yeah. it's very big about gig economy. That's our biggest competition where mm-hmm. they think, oh, they can try to be a uh, Uber driver or uh, whatnot and make it big on YouTube uh, as opposed to making minimum yeah. wage. So talent yeah. is a major concern. So, which is again, one reason why we're pushing so strongly on the automation side uh, yeah. and pushing ahead on that front. So it, it's, yeah. it's interesting to see where country with 1.3 billion people and our number one priority is automation. Yeah. Yeah, it's curious, isn't it? It's getting it's it's a it's a curious balance, and I think automation is certainly seen as something, particularly in Western countries, as a way to mitigate those um, talent shortages. Mitigating component shortages is something you've been doing all year. You've talked a lot about your VAV, your um, your redesign process, and that seems to be providing a good solution to your customers to mitigate some of the challenges you've seen in the supply chain. Yes, uh, definitely. I think uh, for us, it's about a guaranteeing the supply continuity. That's number one priority. B is the cost cost mitigation side, and C right now we're pushing a lot for the cost reduction because I think yeah. over the past two years um, prices have just continuously gone up, right? Uh, and I think that's what spurred the inflation as well too that people consumers are seeing nowadays. And we as manufacturers and as OEMs, our customers as well too, we need to have a very conservative effort, a concerted effort to drive down cost uh, yeah. because they're always, uh, but a lot of it has to do with the certifications and the bureaucracies involved. And that's got to be removed. I think that's the only way we can really solve a lot of this inflation issue where yeah. we, have to, we have to change designs. We have to find yeah. better manufacturing. Yeah, yeah, better economics um, in the whole program. So last question, if you're right to identify one challenge that you consider most concerning for 2023, what would that be? And what are you identifying as your strategy to deal with that? Yeah, I I think the biggest challenge right now is inventory uh, in terms of uh, too much. I Mm. think there will be a lot of companies sitting on too much inventory. I think right now inventory is through the roof and it's still not complete yet. There's a lot of outstanding purchase orders that are yet to come. Uh, once it really starts to uh, once it really starts to be delivered uh, and the OEMs and the EMS realize there's not much demand, um, people will be held uh, holding the holding the bag uh, in yeah. itself. And so I think um, coupled with the high interest rates, um, there will be um, 
issues. Uh, I, I think I predicted this last year too. And yep. I think some happened, but not as much as I thought. But I, I, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure, Phil, this is the year. Yeah, well, I think you're right. With dampening demand, um, I think there's, you know, there's the possibility to shift some of that out. But it'll be interesting to see those um, predictions by customers that turned into purchase orders, how many of those remain to be firm and real as we as we move into perhaps a perhaps a softer market so i think there's there's big challenges there and as you say cash is cash is more expensive than ever so inventory and work in progress becomes becomes the enemy once again and we swing perhaps back from the just in case towards the just in time again and the pendulum continues continues to go back and forth i know talking about cash right now i'm getting fixed deposit rates of 5.4 percent for three Mm -hmm. months that's more margin than I get in EMS. Yeah, right. That's, that's right. That's a margin. So there's something really concerning about that for a lot of manufacturers. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's a it's a worry when you're better off with your cash in the bank than uh, than in the manufacturing industry. Strange times ahead. Thanks for talking to me, Carl. Thanks for your input. Really fascinating. And uh, we'll talk again soon. Thanks for your time. Thank you, always. <laughs>